Welcome to the NABA COP27 podcast, a series of conversations around the UN Climate Change Summit currently underway in Egypt, looking at key issues shaping Africa's climate challenge. I'm your host, Lamri Akinola, and this week we're talking about the energy transition with James Mwangi, the founder of the Climate Action Platform for Africa and the recipient of this year's Climate Breakthrough Award. He gives us his take on why renewable energy and not fossil fuels is the way forward for the continent. James, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Pleasure to have you. Great to be here, Landry. Uh, very quickly, before we get into the topic, we're going to be talking about the energy transition. Just give us a bit of background on yourself. Uh, you know, Who are you and uh, why is climate change important to you? Born and raised in Kenya um, and have spent the bulk of my career, which I started um, after my education in the U.S., spent the bulk of my career um, as a co-founder and executive director uh, in, in the most recent time of the, of the Dalberg Group, which started as a consulting firm and became a group of businesses working around the world towards a more inclusive and sustainable planet for all. Uh, in that work, a lot of my, my, my focus was on uh, economic development and dignified livelihoods in Africa. And in doing that work, I became convinced that a key driver of future economic transformation for the continent could be taking a more proactive leading role in climate action and that the continent's resources, its growing workforce, its massive endowments of natural resources and land, as well as its vast untapped, indeed superabundance of, re- of unused renewable energy potential, all made it a potential key to helping the world reach its uh, its uh, its net zero aims, if we thought about it more strategically, and with that realization, I'm now focusing my time on on the climate challenge, and have launched the Climate Action Platform for Africa, and will soon be going into the realm of investing in uh, in climate smart businesses on the continent. Okay, great. The format here is pretty straightforward. I've got four questions for you. And the idea here is to have honest conversations about Africa's climate challenge. The energy transition is, of course, one of the key global issues right now. And we talk a lot about it vis-a-vis Africa as well. First question I have for you is, should we really be talking about a transition on the continent? We all know the statistic, 600 million plus Africans are thought to not have any access to power. Does it yeah. make sense for us to be talking about transitioning when really you know, we need to get access done first? A hundred percent. We should be focused on access and we should be focusing on the cheapest uh, and most attractive pathways to uh, mass energy access. And the reality is when you when you accept that frame and you then look at the underlying uh, energy economics, that points you directly at more decentralized and renewable solutions as the predominant way to provide energy access to those uh, 600 million people who do not have any access to modern energy and the many additional people who have intermittent or unreliable access to electricity because of weak or underperforming grids. So, yes, the energy access imperative is actually the reason why Africa, Africa's transition is from nothing to clean, green, accessible, affordable power, whereas the rest of the world has, to, has a bit of a sunk cost issue to deal with uh, in their own transition. So ours should be faster. So it's, it's actually kind of an opportunity, is what you're saying, the lack of access, that is. That is correct. It is an opportunity. Interesting because a lot of the conversation around the the energy transition in Africa is around hey we've got all this all of these fossil fuels we should be 
pumping more of these fossil fuels rather than thinking about renewable energy. We should be taking advantage of all the coal we have, all the oil we have, all the gas we have. What are people missing vis-a-vis renewables? Well, I'll start with a sometimes shocking fact, which is all the coal we have and all the oil we have and all the gas we have, with very few exceptions, is not that much. Um, Africa's largest petroleum exporter accounts for 2% or or just over 2% of global exports. Africa in total uh, has about 8.1% of global recognized reserves. Um, This is, you know, when we think about per capita, Africa is actually fossil fuel poor. So let's first recognize that to the extent that there's even a question of exploiting the resources we have and are proven and are commercially exploitable, that really only applies to a minority of the continent in some ways. But even there, I think that you look at any honest reading of energy economics today will tell you that um, that the cheapest path, the least cost path, is one that may use some fossil fuels for grid balancing, peaking, when the sun doesn't shine, etc., but is anchored in the main by renewables. And the thing that we ignore is that when you're reliant on a globally traded commodity for your domestic energy needs, it doesn't matter whether you're producing that commodity yourself. Its price is going to move with the global price. And that means global disruptions to the supply of petrochemicals are directly transmitted to your consumers who are among the poorest in the world and are among the first to get squeezed out. So energy security as well argues for this shift. Yeah, and this year I think is uh, sort of underlines the point that you're making. I I like what you're saying is compelling. Um, And you know, the more I the more I learn about the energy transition, I have to I have to admit, the more convinced I'm becoming that actually renewables might be the way to go for Africa. This brings me to the second main question I want to ask you, which is that despite the potential, which isn't really in dispute, most investors don't seem to take Africa seriously in terms of renewable energy and as a destination for renewable investment. Are they getting it wrong? And if so, why? I don't know that investors are not interested in investing in renewables in Africa. I think that Africa is punching below its weight in terms of bringing investable renewable projects to market. And the renewables industry is not yet as forward leaning um, in terms of its pursuit of opportunities as its uh, fossil fuel predecessor. Um, now, in fairness, with fossil fuels, it, you know, the North Sea and, and so on got developed earlier as oil fields than some of the, the, the fields in tougher places in the world to operate. So we're following the same, the same model, but it's on us in Africa to actually bring these projects to market. And what I observe is, you know, for example, the mo- one of the most successful renewable energy auctions in the world ever was the one that South Africa conducted um, um, for, uh, you, know, um, you, you know, onto its grid about 10, 15 years ago. For a range of reasons, that, that process, which was bringing on, on to stream large amounts of renewable energy, starting to scratch the surface of South Africa's renewable energy potential, was attracting a lot of international investor interest and domestic investor interest, that process was cut off in part because there was the concern about, well, are we going to damage the job-intensive coal industry? And my issue with that type of thinking is it ignores the fact that, A, renewable energy in many cases generates more and arguably better jobs. They tend to be spread out, so there's not a concentrated set of interests. 
And and B, you, you can maybe delay a technologically driven transition. You cannot deny it. Uh, it doesn't matter that New Englanders wanted the whale oil industry to survive and continue mm. to supply lighting. Once petroleum became readily available, whale oil no longer made sense as a, as a, as a, as a primary fuel, and it went out of business. And I fear that in Africa, having not been big investors in this space, having not anchored our, our, our economies to this old technology yet, we are in danger of making an even more bizarre mistake and saying the party is ending, let's rush into the party. So what, what might be the tipping point then in terms of seeing a real sort of scaling up of capital that's going into renewable energy on the continent? You made one point, which is we got to bring more bankable projects out there. But what else has to, to come into place here? And do you think we might be on the cusp of, of quite a significant uptick? I, I think that the, the uptick is possible, but it involves um, it involves something else I didn't talk about as much, which is fossil fuels are easily and readily traded on the global market. And so, once I find a reserve somewhere, I will I will invest to to exploit it. We will notice that there's not been that much investment in allowing those fossil fuels to be used on continent or in the countries that produce them. So it, it's pure straight externalization. And the challenge with renewables for someone who's just looking to externalize the value is that they are, they are harder to move than a barrel of oil, which is another reason why Africans should love the fact that we've got so much renewable potential. But it creates another, a different financing challenge, which is you need to show the, the demand that's going to back the supply. And on a poor continent where many of the people we want to supply energy access to are visibly poor and do not necessarily have disposable income, it's really hard to create large-scale bankable projects on the, bank, on the backs of existing or projected domestic demand. When I talk to energy uh, players in, the, in Kenya who've been in the sector for a long time, they say, yeah, of course we could do tens if not hundreds of gigawatts of renewable energy, but we don't do it because we don't have the demand. But we don't have the demand because we don't have a diversified economy. We don't have a diversified economy because we don't have cheap energy. And we don't have cheap energy because no one's developing the power plant. And if we don't, we're not developing the power plants at scale because we don't have that demand. It's a circular problem. Yeah. And so the thing we need to solve is how do we attract large-scale bankable demand to the continent with the price of readily deployable, rapidly available, inexpensive renewable energy? The first African governments to make this offer clearly or to, or, to, or to nail this value proposition, I think will launch a new age in terms of how we think about energy development on the continent. Which countries do you think are getting it right or maybe heading in the right direction if you had to pick a sort of top three, top four countries in Africa right now? Um, Landry, it's going to sound like a cop-out, but I'm hearing a lot of people saying that they want to move in, this, in the right direction. And I, I think the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, right? So, you know, whether it's, it's uh, some of the, the declarations and policy directions you're seeing in countries like Kenya, whether it's the investments in large-scale renewables that a country like Ethiopia has made, uh, whether it's even when you look at some of what's happening in the private sector, you're starting to see renewables start to pick up momentum again in South Africa with an eye to hydrogen and so on, not necessarily on the grid, but, 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 but off grid or as, as, as a private sector begins to reinvest in the this, in this space. So there's, there's green shoots everywhere. 
I don't know that we yet have a, co a coherent game plan for how we are realizing it, because I think we still think of renewables as the as the little brother or little sister of serious energy. Yeah. Um, and we need to actually, as a continent, whether on the policy side, on the investment side, on the consumer side, to really move it to the center of our thinking about our energy systems. Uh, and I, I can see countries trying to do it, but with, you know, at the risk of seeming like a cop-out, I'll say over the next few months, it should be clearer who's serious about making that shift. All right. So watch this space then. Well, we, we've, we've kind of strayed into the third question uh, I want to throw at you already, but um, there's some discussion around or some people are pushing this idea that Africa could leapfrog right into the renewable era. It sounds great. We've seen it happen before in the mobile telecom space. Uh, and you've touched earlier on you know, the opportunity of not having the legacy infrastructure. But when you hear the word leapfrog into renewables, is that a pipe dream or is that a, a real opportunity for the continent? Um, it depends on how we execute. All of the arguments that, that are made about why Africa may struggle to leapfrog is that we haven't done it yet. So it's a circular argument. We haven't done it and we haven't shown we can do it. So, you know, and it requires us to get certain things right that we haven't demonstrated we can consistently get right in terms of creating a, you know, with renewables, so much depends on how quickly you can move from a concept to deployment of capital to realization, right? So a lot of the costs, because all of the costs are concentrated at the beginning in building out the renewable energy asset. And if you're slow, if there are multiple unpredictable roadblocks, if there's fluctuating costs of capital and, 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 and so on, all of that goes towards making the renewable energy uncompetitive. On its own, right, the, the, the power coming off a, a panel, a solar panel um, in, in an equatorial country like Kenya, on its own in the abstract should be coming in at something like between, should be able to be profitably delivered at tariffs in the region of between two and five cents a kilowatt hour. That's a tiny fraction of what the average African pays for power. And a lot of what's in that buffer is the costs of both our internal, internal self-created challenges around not moving as fast or as clearly or as quickly as we could. But also the, you know, I think some people call it the zip code premium. Um, I think the Africa Finance Corporation have started calling it the prejudice premium. And I think that's, that's a fair thing to call it that Africa pays in terms of uh, the, the risk premium that are charged to just raise the cost of capital. And so the, 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 if there's a reason why uh, renewables are, are not yet so obviously uh, the way to go, it is that Africa has the highest costs of capital in the world and cost of capital is everything in renewable energy. If we can address that, then you should see an explosion in volume. And that is a challenge, frankly, for the likes of the global financial sector, entities like GFANS and others, to think about how do we, this is not about a handout. This is just about if you can lower the cost of capital to something in the neighborhood of what is paid elsewhere in the world with similar risk profiles, you could see massive benefits for the continent, massive benefits for the global economy, and massive benefits for the planet from a climate perspective, just from allowing that leapfrogging to happen. We just need a credit card that, is, that doesn't have uh, too high charges. Well, on the topic of the, you know, was, what was it, the prejudice premium? Um, 
interesting way of looking at it. Yes, we know Africa often gets a bad rap, right? And uh, it's more expensive to do business on the continent, not necessarily because of the realities on the ground, but how it's perceived. Which brings me to the final question, which is COP27. Uh, all the uh, you know the eyes of the world are on Egypt around COP27. It's not just about energy. It's about climate change, but energy is clearly a big part of that. Do you think that COP27 can move the needle here a little bit? How might the the occasion contribute to unlocking some of that capital, unlocking some of that momentum that we need vis-a-vis renewables and the energy transition? So I, I think that there is an opportunity, but it's a challenging context. I think we shouldn't, you know, uh, we should recognize that this COP is happening in extremely difficult circumstances as we think about the global economy, as we think of some of what has happened in global energy, uh, as we think about the challenges countries are facing. And 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 in any challenging situation, uh, a consensus is shaken. And I think that there is a sense that the, the critical thing that needs to be discussed at this COP, and, and I can see why that would be the sense, is um, the questions of how is the global north, which has benefited from causing climate change, going to honor some of its commitments around things like uh, loss and damage, as well as funding for adaptation and resilience in places like Africa that are suffering massively from the impacts of climate change without having caused it, and are currently facing really tremendously difficult economic times. I, I think that discussion will continue. I suspect it may end up being a, a frustrating uh, conversation for all parties in some ways, um, but it, it's, a, it's an important conversation to have. I think what I would hope to see um, as, as, as the conversation at, at this COP, if, if, if that was a possibility, um, what I would hope to see instead is a focus on, is an equal focus, not just on Africa as a, climate victim, which again, I'm not disputing the truth of, but also what are the untapped opportunities to invest in Africa as a key part of the climate solution? Because if you can unlock, you know, and and right now, current, you know, recent analysis I saw from RMI suggests that the average African country has renewable uh, uh, power potential a thousand, you know, has over a thousand times as much renewable energy potential as current demand, right? That means that investing in unlocking that potential is good for one, preventing Africa's, you know, own emissions from, from skyrocketing as, as people develop and as a population grows, but importantly, creates the opportunity to have a green energy hub to which the world can export energy-hungry industry or to which the world can deploy energy-hungry industry because then Africa would, would, would export. And I think making that case, and some people are making it, and I think there's opportunities to make that, maybe not necessarily in the, in the governmental conversations where I think the die might be cast, but in some of the conversations among business leaders and investors and so on, I'm really hoping that we can start to zero in on just how attractive investing in Africa's renewable energy potential could be and what it'll take to make that happen from the policymakers, from the investors, and from the operators. Uh, Thank you, James. Uh, Whether it's this COP or beyond, the conversation is clearly much bigger than a couple of weeks in Egypt. And uh, it's a fascinating topic, fascinating time in many ways for reasons good and bad. Uh, I'd love to go on. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up. All All I can say is thanks so much again for being on the podcast. And uh, let's see where things go vis-a-vis the energy transition on the continent. 
Thank you, Landry. It's been a great conversation. Looking forward to continuing it. And thank you for what you're doing to kind of tease out the story, both into COP and beyond. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week. If you want to know more about NAB and what we do, please visit our website at norwegianafrican.no. Wherever you are, have a great weekend. <laughs>